I'm Kim Singletary. And I'm Rich Collins with Biz New Orleans Magazine. Welcome to Biz Talks. Each week, we reach beyond the pages of Biz New Orleans Magazine to bring you in-depth conversations with members of the business community. From the names everyone knows to the ones destined to make their mark, we'll dive into the top issues, best practices, successes, and failures of every industry that calls Southeast Louisiana home. Welcome to this week's episode of Biz Talks. This is Kim Singletary. I'm the managing editor of Biz New Orleans Magazine. And right now we are deep in football season. Go Saints. And with this weekend's game being the first to allow some measure of fans back in the Superdome, we thought now was the perfect time to talk a bit more about the Dome. Originally constructed in 1975, our beloved Superdome is in the midst of a major $450 million facelift. And Dennis Lausha, president of the Saints, has referred to my guest today as the quarterback of that renovation, one designed to take one of New Orleans' most iconic structures into the future. Trey Trahan is the founder and CEO of Trahan Architects. An LSU grad, he began practicing in 1989 in Baton Rouge as part of a two-person team. And in uh, 2013, he moved his headquarters over to New Orleans, where he has continued to rack up award-winning projects around the globe. In 2019, Trahan Architects did what no other Louisiana-based firm has ever done. It grabbed the title of number one design firm in the United States by Architect Magazine, which is the official journal of the American Institute of Architects. In large part due to that unprecedented honor and the attention it brought to our region, Trahan made our list for Biz Executive of the Year in 2019. And today, I'm so excited to get to catch up with him. Thank you so much for chatting with me, Trey. Good morning, Kim. So good to talk to you. Thanks. Yeah. Um, So let's start a bit about the basics of the company. What does Trahan Architects look like now? Where do you operate? How many employees? Yeah, we're, we're... We range from 30 to 40 um, architects. We are located in the CBD of New Orleans, which we just love. And we have a satellite office in Soho, New York. That's exciting. Yeah, it it allows us to um, um, work with very different clients in New York in the Northeast and a different set of consultants. And of course, um, our colleagues there are are unique in that typically they're educated from the Northeast. And so we find that it, it just brings a, um, a different set of skills and talent to the firm that um, changes the kind of culture in the best of ways. And um, kind of we work between the two offices and leverage the collective assets. Well, you can't get, I think, more two different places. So that's, <laughs> that's great. Yeah, it's, it's been interesting that it, it um, but they're both, you know, really old and, and kind of gritty and um, cities that um, I think are about authenticity. And, and that's what our work's about, kind of um, investigating or interrogating what is unique about a place and how is an architectural response authentic to a set of conditions and um, what better place than New Orleans and New York City? Absolutely. Um, I want to talk more about this year and all the exciting stuff you've been doing since we talked to you in 2019, Um, but I want to start with the big guy, the Superdome, um, which your firm has been involved with um, since right after Katrina. Is that right? That's correct. We were selected by the Louisiana State Architecture Selection Board after Katrina, and we led that 
$250 million effort um, at that time with two New Orleans firms. And it was um, an intense experience, um, uh, but a very obviously rewarding experience, not only for the architects, but the engineers. And it was just really gratifying to see the dome emerge from uh, the rubble, so to speak, in this this kind of devastated city, and 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 kind of participate in the rebirth of New Orleans. So, what was that like? So, after Katrina, I know. I mean, we all, even those of us who weren't here, um, know that the the Superdome played a huge role, and I think was home to like thirty thousand people at one point. Um, and but it did take a huge hit from Katrina. So what did it look like when you guys came in? What was what was kind of the scope of the project? Yeah, the first the first um, phase was to replace the roof and uh, create a watertight structure. Um, so the first project we put out for bid was a, a new roof, and we investigated at that time many different types of roofing systems, from metal to single ply to various others, and and kind of studied. Um, resistance to winds and and maintainability, et cetera, et cetera, many factors and, and chose the system that's up there today. Um, then we moved internal. Um, it was a mess, obviously. There was just debris everywhere. And, and the littlest things had been affected. For example, beyond the, the skins of interior systems was fireproofing on steel members where water um, had leaked internal to the building and removed the fireproofing. And so um, there were all these kind of unique conditions that added uh, a level of complexity. Additionally, um, was, there was five funding sources, which added a layer of complexity because different pots of money um, uh, facilitated different approaches. And, and although we wanted to return the dome to its original glory, um, there are new codes. Um, there are new requirements as it relates to universal accessibility. Um, and there are just new ways of designing and building suites and club seats and, and fan amenities. And, and so we, we worked between uh, restoring it to its original intent to upgrading the facility such that it was a modern contemporary stadium that reflected uh, where new NFL stadiums were moving. So were you, and you guys were the lead architect on that project? That's correct. Trayon Architects led that effort. And how long a, of an effort was that? Because I, I, it was pretty quick. I was yeah. surprised how, you, how quickly you guys got back and, and were opening games again. There's a lot of interest embedded in that question, Kim, because our contract began. It said that we had uh, 14 months to complete the drawings, but as, as we moved through the first 30 days, we were asked to expedite the contract um, to, I think it was 11. And then at one point, the NFL, Paul Tagliabue, um, arrived in town. I received a call from Doug Thornton, and Doug asked me to join the two of them in a meeting. And uh, the NFL discussed maybe uh, contributing and the possibility of moving uh, the schedule up for a Monday night football game with Atlanta. And so things move rather quickly. Um, but as in, you know, in many ways, it was exciting and new and fresh. It was, it was in all honesty, really hard on the architectural engineering 
consultants and um, contractors um, and subcontractors that were from the New Orleans area that quite frankly, additionally, many were restoring their homes that had been um, either devastated or, or experienced um, serious destruction. And so some of these people would leave the all day meetings and, and return home to work on their homes, which um, hats off to those those guys, right? I mean, the men and women that were dealing with so much more than uh, keeping their businesses afloat, their personal lives had been so affected. So I think it speaks to um, the culture of, of Louisiana and New Orleans and these incredible people that gave so much to bring back the dome. Oh, were you there when the, the first game happened? I was. I, um, I actually was privileged to walk the field that day. Um, Bono was on the field and um, walking the facility and it was just, um, what a day, right? Um, it's one of those things that you, you just never forget the energy and the sense of, um, of just community that um, the community would return and we would rebuild and, and there was uh, confidence and conviction and commitment by the people of New Orleans to uh, return this glorious city to um, its beauty. So we have our November issue, our, our sports columnist talks about the Superdome and, and the naming rights and, and basically why it's such a valuable commodity for a business to be involved with. And um, but what are what are your feelings about the Superdome? As an architect, you're, it's a it's your projects are very emotional, and that's you know on purpose. And uh, but the the Superdome, what is what does that kind of mean to you? And and this is a project, obviously, that you've been involved with for you know close to decades now. So what it, how do you feel about it? Is it is it something that I mean we everybody knows it as kind of this iconic location in the city um but how do you how do you view that project yeah well i think from an architectural perspective um i love its siding um its relationship to the french quarter and the cbd and the warehouse and the neighborhoods um that just are you know wrap this incredible facility um from an architectural expression perspective um, you know, most people, I, well, some don't understand that um, the hardest thing to achieve in design and, and, and architecture is in that realm is simplicity. Um, when you can get to the essence of solving a problem in the most simple way, it's elevated to a level of sophistication um, um, that um, is, is timeless. And I think... Um, you know, we, we owe a lot to the fathers of the city uh, and those that led the effort, Dave Dixon and Curtis and Davis, for, for building such a beautiful, simple structure that is timeless. And while many cities have built uh, a number of structures during that same time span, we enjoy the benefits of having um, just a, uh, an iconic a uh, timeless structure that is conceived as almost an armature that allows for continual updating, but without losing the essence of, of its uh, internal kind of atmosphere um, and mm -hmm. expression, 
while maintaining this beautiful iconic exterior. So moving forward, you've got we've got this four hundred and fifty million dollar renovation and that did it officially get underway early this year? Is that right? It did. We we moved forward with the enabling phase, which is the phase of building new vertical circulation in the corners. Um, and the objective there is we identified early on in the master planning process that they, these uh, two ramps on each sidelines occupied approximately 80,000 square feet of premium space that could support um, suites, clubs, and general seatings in uh, a much more effective way. And so the idea there is to remove the ramps from the sidelines um, after we have constructed new vertical circulation in the corners. And so that work is in progress, um, which will allow the demolition of the ramps to occur and uh, the team or the clients recapture that valuable real estate. So the, the renovation after Katrina is obviously to, to just get things back and up and running again, but also to, to make sure that um, you know, we could compete and that, you know, we were kind of up to date. And so now fast forwarding into 2020, is this all these, reno these renovations, what are the goals? Is it, is it just to continue to, you know, to be this kind of world-class space or what are kind of the. Yeah, that's a great question, Kim. It's to, it's to diversify the experience. You know, uh, we're at an SRO standing room only. Um, okay tickets. Um, we're enhancing uh, the general seating and the amenities, the food service that supports it. We're enhancing um, the club. We're enhancing the suites. And we're just creating a number of different products um, so that there's greater um, diversity. You know, nowadays, more than ever, it's about inclusivity and diversity. And, and our client group is... Um, reminds us of the importance of who the fans are, how committed they are to the Saints, um, and and their commitment to them. And so it's about um, enhancing the experience um, for all of um, the service people, the spectators, uh, all that are involved in this incredible space for the community. So the, the standing room only thing, that was interesting to me. Is that something that other stadiums have done or are doing? They have. It's a, it's a way of, of just delivering a different product for a different group, you know. And I would probably, I, maybe, maybe this isn't accurate, but I would think it's for a younger generation that can stand through the, <laughs> an entire game. But, um, you know, I think different people will, are going to be attracted to it and find those types of experiences unique. They're you, typically from a, a, a certain perspective in the venue and just give you a different sense. Um, so they, they contribute to the, the experience for all. And you have then a, a wider array of price points since you have, you can kind of bring more, is it, well, are, are we going to increasing the capacity? Too? No, it's not increasing the capacity, um, um, but it is just diversifying the venue. You know, another thing I, I, I think it's important to touch on is is uh, the client group's commitment to universal accessibility. And so um, that that can at times be complex within the existing structure, but they've really pushed the architecture engineering team to find the most creative ways of finding um, 
other seating options uh, from different places in the dome for universal accessibility. Um, and so that's been um, part of the mandate. So you're going to have like something like the standing room only. What about on the flip side of things, the kind of cream of the crop experience? How is that going to change? Yeah, well, for the suites and club seats, we're, we're cleaning up things and building, um, bringing in new finishes, new appliances, and, and just a new experience such that they are contemporary spaces that feel consistent with the building, but um, are about um, comfort during a game, right? And, and the latest in technology. And so, um, you know, like the video boards that are just enormous in size and give you a real sense of, of play back and just really activate the space. So it's, um, it's, it's, it's all about spending the dollars in the most balanced uh, way, in, in a way that contributes um, uh, to the fan experience um, like no other venue. Well, so, and early on when you guys started all this, one of the big um, challenges was going to be doing this kind of work while the Dome was, you know, playing host to a lot of different events and things like that. And then, of course, the coronavirus came around and um, has kind of shut things down. Has that, how has that affected the project? Yeah, it's added a level of complexity. Um, um, because on one hand, we, we want to continue moving forward, but at the same time, uh, we have to adhere to CDC and other um, requirements um, for maintaining healthy conditions. And so, um, for example, uh, typically the architects uh, from our office uh, are using uh, late afternoon and weekends to access the building to inspect the work. Uh, as well as our engineering consultants. Um, and so I think everyone's just working really very closely to respect degrees of separation and, and, and uh, you know, just understand the impact that we can have on each other if we're not respectful. But um, we're continuing to move forward. Um, and I think we're doing it in a very responsible way. Um, but of course, it's added a layer of complexity. Um, to the project. But it also helped that you don't have all these other events going on and things. It's kind of it 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 does. Um, but of course, you know, then the other flip side of that is is making sure that we are respecting the workers that are in there daily and making sure that they're tested. And so the lack of events does help. Um, but it's it's still you know it's 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 a large project, right? And and they're. Uh, unforeseen conditions and you know there's something uh, weekly but um, we have a quality client that's very supportive and that leads the project in in a respectful way and I, we have a quality contractor and architecture engineering team and and look that's not to suggest there aren't disagreements but we we work things out and we continue to move forward so what does the timeline look like for this? yeah well, right now we're negotiating some of that because um, obviously uh, funding has been affected. Um, and so what we are in weekly uh, meetings with the client group to discuss how to spend the funding that's available uh, most responsibly um, because it is the citizen of Louisiana's money. And um, um, 
we're probably going to increase the schedule by a year or so. Um, um, because, of course, we're controlled by the available funds, and that has been affected. Mm-hmm. So what I, – did I, I think I saw earlier, was it 2023-2024 season? That's correct. That's correct. Okay. Yep. Um, so as a person walking into the Dome, when all of this is complete, what do you think is going to be some of, like, the wow moments? Yeah, I think the wow moment will – Again, when you enter on the corners with these atriums that are vertical spaces that move up almost the entire height of the perimeter of the dome, and you're going to see these escalators crisscrossing through the space, this open volume um, with light flooding down, and um, hopefully the projection of, of different um, graphics on in these spaces and so you'll quickly move vertical and then into the level that you are seated on and i think that's just going to change the experience both as an arrival sequence but then also as a departure sequence you're going to get a sense of these atriums being connected to the urban context in a really powerful and unique way Um, in contrast to these kind of internalized ramps that would take you up and so you'll move vertically uh, much more quickly and then of course as you leave that atrium you'll walk in past that concourse and into um, that kind of holy of holies right that sacred space that community space so what have you guys looked at other stadiums like what what's serving as kind of a inspiration here or are you looking at things that are not stadium getting some inspiration well, yeah that's a that's a great question so we did study other stadiums um before the project um started we we flew up to minnesota and looked at their stadium and um but you know our, our stadium the dome is unique and mm-hmm. and the culture here is unique and so Although we wanted to understand the products that are being offered in other stadiums, and we wanted to be um, on the leading edge of, of diverse products and quality of experience, um, we remind ourselves often that um, we have a unique culture, a unique fan base, and and we're not interested in replicating what others do, but using the uniqueness of this place to inform an experience that is um, unique to us. So I'm curious too, one of the big things about the dome is is just how amazingly loud it gets in there and how intimidating it can be to other teams. And is is that, we're definitely gonna see that in this new version? Absolutely, yeah. Isn't that awesome? Just the (laughs) energy you feel um, in the venue. And and, you know, some of that is because of the, the verticality of it. So it, um, the way it reflects and and uh, kind of so there's there's some acoustical reasons for this. Yeah, you know, I mean, one is yeah, it's I mean, one is its enclosure, of course, but um, the kind of tiered uh, seating uh, elements and 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 the way they reflect sound um, increases that reflectance and uh, intensity uh, in the space, and that you know that's what makes it. You know, uniquely New Orleans and Louisiana and, and Saints, right? I mean, that's what just energizes the building. Absolutely. 
Um, so I wanted to switch a little bit and talk about some of the other projects that you guys have done and, and um, maybe that people might recognize um, in Louisiana and beyond. Yeah. So, I, you know, I think one project we worked on in Natchitoches, Louisiana, is the um, Sports Hall of Fame and, and History Museum, a rather unique building. It was recognized a few years back as uh, the number one building internationally um, by a jury out of Canada. Um, very unique structure that's about celebrating uh, unique, uh, the river morphology and the way rivers deposit and scour and shape. And so um, it's, it, was, it was constructed using parametric software and building strategies. Um, uh, but it was, it's rooted in Louisiana in that we were kind of creating a contemporary bousillage. Bousillage is, is clay, horse, hair, and moss, which were the earliest buildings in Louisiana. And so as a firm, part of our process is to is to kind of almost like archaeologists go back and develop a, uh, uh, a thorough understanding of the earliest built structures here and how we can build off of them um, kind of the next evolution of a concept. Um, so there's that building. Um, uh, there are a number of churches in Baton Rouge that were at the core of our work early on. And in fact, one really interesting story we were we were interviewing, we had, we had designed and constructed the East and West um, expansions of LSU's Tiger Stadium. And uh, we were privileged to interview for Auburn Tigers. And, um, and uh, in the interview, um, uh, the David Housel, the athletic director, uh, stopped me 10 minutes into the interview and said, uh, he said, I understand that you enjoy designing religious spaces. And I said, I do. And Kim, he then proceeded to ask me it, for approximately 30 to 40 minutes questions about designing religious structures from meeting outside uh, to entering through the portal of a church to arriving in a gathering space, holy of holies, just this beautiful analysis of religious spaces. And I remember thinking to myself, well, obviously he's not interested in hiring us to master plan Jordan-Hare Stadium. Um, mm -hmm. He maybe is a member of a religious congregation and wants to hire us to design a church, and uh, which I was excited about, but obviously disappointed because we were interviewing for the master plan of Jordan Hare. And then he walked him to the window and pulled open a curtain, and there was their stadium, and he said, here is my cathedral. Um, mm -hmm. And then he drew this beautiful parallel between church architecture and, and stadiums. And he said, you know, Trey, in the South, in the, in the Southeast Conference, there's nothing more sacred than our stadiums. And uh, spoke of just um, the uniqueness of stadiums and religious spaces and a comparison. And so um, we've worked on a number of collegiate stadiums throughout the South. Right now, um, we just finished um, conceptual design on uh, four buildings at the National Arboretum in Washington, D.C. Um, that are just incredibly exciting buildings, bonsai pavilions, and we presented them about three weeks ago to the National Commission of, of Arts and received approval. So uh, more and more work nationally. We're doing a little work in South America. Um, um, conceptualized a mixed-use development for Boston 
uh, earlier in the year. And so uh, diverse building types, um, uh, some in Louisiana and some nationally and even some internationally. And you um, recently received three international awards? We did. Um, uh, there's um, the Chicago Anthenaeum Awards. And uh, we were very fortunate that um, we were asked to submit those projects. We did. And um, all three won international awards, which, um, you know, I think it speaks to not only the talent that our architecture schools in Louisiana is putting out, uh, LSU and and Tulane and La Tech and, and, and ULL and uh, Southern, but, um, but also the talent that um, a city like New Orleans allows us to attract. And so um, we have a really diverse, well-educated and a really passionate group of uh, architects here in the office. That, um, that number one design firm in the United States, um, that, that big award from 2019, that is, like I said, something that no Louisiana-based firm, architecture firm, has ever done. Do you, what do you see in the future for architecture in Louisiana? We do have, I mean, just my favorite view, I always say, is like, it's looking down towards the French, or from the French Quarter, and you can see the old buildings, but then behind those, you can see the brand new buildings reaching out and it's just such a neat i've been to chicago and that's obviously awesome as well and new york is awesome but new orleans does have like that that very different feel as far as architecture goes and what do you what do you think about our future as a city and and the role that we'll play in architecture yeah i i look i know we're going through tough times with the pandemic and uh, it seems like a, a, another hurricane weekly but i, I <laughs> literally I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 amazing. But I um, and I didn't obviously didn't arrive at this place day one, but I really am excited about the future. I, I think we're being challenged to to think about a lot of things in life and how we see ourselves and how we deal with community. And Look, this is a beautiful city. I mean, it's amazing. You know, some buildings are beautiful day one and they're less beautiful from that day forward. And I think what's beautiful about the buildings here are they're beautiful day one, uh, but they age in patina in a very rich and meaningful way. And we as people that only live a, 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 a certain amount of time uh, need a sense of time before us and time after. And I think that's important. I, like you, I enjoy the dialogue between a contemporary building and, a, and an older building. And I think it's also important to remember that the buildings we celebrate today as important historic artifacts uh, are the buildings that were really forward thinking and contemporary at their time. They were breaking new ground at their time, and that's why we celebrate them. Um, we don't celebrate the buildings that were, were knockoffs of the originals. Um, mm -hmm. It's the early forward thinking, those buildings that 200 years back were innovative and high tech at their time. And so um, what we enjoy pursuing is work that is really reflective of where we are at this day and time in the world with technology um, that we can use to design and build buildings with. And, and um, that's exciting to me because they in ways memorialize this time in history. 
So maybe not trying to do, I remember um, I went to Prague a few years back and, and what struck me um, was it, it felt a little Disney-fied. Yeah. <laughs> it felt like they had taken some of the, the beautiful old buildings and they had, I mean, beautifully, kind of, you know, cleaned them up and modernized a lot of things, but they had also created newer ones that were meant to look old, but don't quite pull it off. And, and so I guess what I kind of hear you saying is that you don't have to aim that way. You can, you can put brand new and, and modern next to, you know, the original old look and, and it, that, that complete picture is so much more rich because of that. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think, um, I think it, um, I am strongly against creating faux versions of historic buildings. Um, to the uninformed, it's misleading and it's disingenuous. And, and um, as a person, as in any personal relationship, we want people to be truthful and authentic. You want your buildings to be truthful and authentic, just like no one's carrying around or, or using a phone from 20, 30 years ago. Um, um, you know, we, no one's buying, or unless you're into collecting historic cars, um, you want to buy the original, right? And, right? and so we should create uh, truly building, buildings that are authentic to this day and time, culturally, uh, technologically, uh, programmatically. Um, they, um, to me, contribute in the richest and most meaningful ways to society. So on that note, I wanted to to kind of finish off with with what you guys are doing now and what does the future look like? Um, obviously, in addition to the Superdome project, you guys have other things going on. So um, what are what are kind of some of your big ones that you'd like to share? Yeah, well, I think as a firm, we've 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 moved more. We talk a, a lot more about becoming humanitarians that are architects. And so we think a lot about um, how we can contribute to other ways in our community. Um, and that excites us because we think if we understand how we contribute to community, that we're contributing back to the firm and ourselves. Um, one exciting project we're working on is a funeral home in, um, in a unique neighborhood in New Orleans. And um, so we are studying the history of funerals in New Orleans and how it has evolved and how unique it is. and how with, with um, some groups, it's about celebrating life as opposed to mourning death. And so um, I loved it when the client said, look, I'm hopeful that when visitors to the city visit the French Quarter and, and the cemeteries, that the funeral home is also on their list of places to visit. And I just found, found that um, highly aspirational. Um, and so we enjoy... Um, developing a thorough understanding through precedent research of a certain building type, but also challenging that building type to be much more. And um, I have absolutely no idea where uh, the design's going, uh, but this week we're gonna visit um, the existing funeral home and develop a better sense of what's unique to the culture of this funeral home and, and, and maybe um, unearth a unique perspective um, that um, will bring um, dignity 
to um, that part of life and death. Yeah. Wow. It is. This is definitely a city that looks at death different than anywhere else I've lived. It, it, it does. And I'm not that I'm interested in my personal death, but I'm <laughs> anytime soon. But I am fascinated with uh, the unique perspective of, of death here in the city and um, what that means to um, building a, a, a contemporary funeral home. Um, you know, I think we're thinking a lot about parks and exterior space um, and how important outdoor space is now more than ever as it relates to the pandemic. Um, fresh air, um, yeah. all of these things now are, they were important and they're more important now. Um, but I find, I think that's really exciting to think about. Um, I refer to it as degrees of outsideness. <laughs> um, and since we don't have harsh winters, I think we can exploit degrees of outsidedness um, in very unique ways to the city and state. Absolutely. Well, if this has been a, a very positive and, and inspirational conversation that I think is, is very needed right now and is something that we can, we got a lot of stuff to look forward to. Yeah, I think so. I, I think this is going to be a rough period. But I think we're going to emerge out of this in a much better place. I think kinder, more respectful, hopefully um, behaving in more dignified ways that uh, privilege others instead of ourselves. And um, I'm hopeful we as a firm and as individuals here contribute to that. Kim, always great visiting with you and you're always invited to come by the office and We'll buy, you, we'll buy you a cup of coffee and share what we're yeah. up to. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And, and definitely continue to keep us, keep us posted on, on racking up all the awards and the projects and, and really making a name for Louisiana as far as, as architecture goes. And um, just really excited. I'm excited about the future. And thank you so much for talking with me and, and, and keep in touch with us. Thank you, Kim. We will. Thanks for listening to another episode of Biz Talks. If you like what you hear each week, don't forget to rate us and leave a comment wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on social media at Biz New Orleans. For more information or to contact us, please visit bizneworleans.com slash biztalks.